I always assumed the ID guys had actually proven this stuff. Just like they've assumed that I've actually proven it makes difference to operate on people's spinal stenosis, okay? In 1918, it, it was not the Spanish flu. It started in, it didn't start in Spain, it started in Fort Riley, Kansas. Because the military, from 1920 on, the numbers kind of kept getting exaggerated in the news stories. And the, and the, and the repetitive news stories saying all the same things, but at different little newspapers all over the country, just like we see today in the national news, it isn't the digital press, it was then too. So if you suddenly move from one electromagnetic situation, not very much, to some, a suddenly higher EMF, you know, lots of cellular radiation, all that kind of stuff, telegram lines going up. If you suddenly change that gradient, if you suddenly change and you walk into an electro electromagnetic field that your body's not used to, you all have problems. You can't metabolize things right, okay? Your metabolism gets shot. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have the great Dr. Lee Merritt coming to the show. She is so fascinating. I didn't, I thought we were going to talk about one thing and then we ended up getting into, we decided on talking about another thing and we're going to talk about germ theory and then we're going to get into whether this, she doesn't think the vaccine is really an, an RNA vaccine, but that's a good thing because that means it didn't really change people's genetic code and so it makes it easier for us to uh, solve these problems. But we're going to talk about viruses. She doesn't think there was even a virus that did all this, but she has a really good argument to it. And I ask her the question, well, how do colds exist if there isn't virus and the whole germ theory is, a, she she doesn't buy into the hardcore, um, you know, bacteria, of course, exists and germs are bacteria. So it's, it's, so we just talk about it, but putting it in a context of how that makes sense and how we need to really be debating these things and understanding it. And she really thinks it's the frequency, you know, as we we put the telegraph lines in and the telephones and then the different, um, as that every time there was a major advancement in that area, like 5G, a major advancement, there were serious illnesses and then how they weaponized that. And that we just work differently than the way that the doctors are taught in medical school. And I'm so glad I had this conversation with her because people who follow the show know how much I've been talking about frequency. I really think that's the future of all medicine. And just like you can use frequency to heal, you can use frequency to create disease. And she's seeing that. But the nice part about having doctors like her come forward and really starting to understand it is they're going to put the meat behind what it is that I'm talking about. They are, and a lot of us are talking about it, but we need thousands of researchers and doctors. I think it's the next age. I think it's a whole nother age. It changes medicine, changes everything. And it's a future, it's our future, but we need to understand it. And we need to get out of these paradigms that are just frankly wrong so that we can start to grow and learn things and be healthier and happier. But this was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed talking to her because we got into a lot of subjects that I really care about and that we've been, because we got into a lot of subjects that we've been covering here for years and she's putting some meat behind that. And I 
love that. And meat, we, you know, a lot of people put meat beyond it that I have on the show, but meat from a different perspective. And that is awesome. And that's what I love. But for those of you who don't know who she is, she's an orthopedic and spinal surgeon. She was a surgeon in the Navy. She knows Russian, which is really quite interesting. She was also the former president of the Association of Surgeons and Physicians. So she is quite a bit of prestige too. And so they don't like the fact that she's kind of went off the reservation and she's calls herself the Dr. Rebel and the medical rebel rebel. And she, she really is. It's really interesting. She's willing to go there. And I love it because so many people in the medical field and in, in a lot of fields, they're afraid to go off the reservation. They're very controlled, whether they'll lose their license or whatever. They're just so mentally controlled. And that's one of the main main reasons we're in the situation we're in is so many people are afraid. They don't have the courage to step up and do what is necessary for us to move forward. And she's one of them that are. So I'm, she's just so courageous. I hope you listen to this whole show. She is going to be speaking at the censored conference, which is coming up on April 28th of this month. So I hope you guys go there and you watch it. It's free when it airs on April 28th and 29th. And then we'll have an encore. But there's also Act One that already played. And if you want to go buy tickets, you can get tickets for Act One. And when Act Two goes behind the paywall, you'll be able to watch that with the same ticket. You don't have to buy another ticket. It it covers all the different shows that we do, all the censored conference to raise money for this really important, you know, to keep free speech going. And I always say the censorship topic might be boring, but the censored are far from boring. And those are the people that you really want to listen to. And I really hope you share that event far and wide. The censored really need to be heard. And there's just going to be so many good. You should go and see all the people we have for Act 2. It's just going to be wonderful. Go to unitedforfreespeech.com and look at the speakers that we have lined up for Act 2. It's they're They're amazing. If you want to get save $25 on a ticket, you can use my name, Sarah, and you can save $25. Or use the last name of any of the speakers that are speaking, and they will. Um, you can get $25 off of that, and they can earn $25 as well. Corey Lynn is speaking, and her ticket name is Corey. So if you want to help her, because not everybody is using their last name. Okay, let's get into this really good conversation with Dr. Lee Merritt. I have the great Lee Merritt joining us finally. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know about great, but I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I, you know how many people have asked me to, and, and then when I have some of the people I respect the most, right? People I work with, like Dave Janda and Cynthia McKinney. Oh, yeah, he's me. awesome. Well, both of them are like, you got to talk to Lee Merritt. And so those are some of the people I respect the most, you know, based on my experience over the years, I trust them. They haven't wavered. Right. And um, I'm like, I got to talk to her, but yeah. you, I, you know, we're going to talk about some things that I wasn't expecting us to talk about, which is great. This is what free speech is all about. I want to talk about um, germ theory. Wasn't what I was yeah, thinking okay. I was going to talk about with you, but that is about time my show talks about some of this stuff. The reason I haven't been is because I have a I have a hang up. I think it's important that we debate these things, absolutely important. And there's proof showing that things are all messed up in the way we believe stuff. Right. But I have an issue with the the people saying there isn't this such thing as a virus when we know that colds exist. I know I got a cold when I was a kid. I know everybody got colds. What okay. the hell is that if viruses don't exist? And you have a, so you, you, you've thought about this. So this is great. 
Oh, yeah. Now, see, I, and I, I trained at the University of Rochester. I was a freshman medical student in 1976. And since that time, I've completely believed the germ theory. I completely believed that there were viruses, there were bacteria, they were different, they both caused diseases, blah, 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 blah. And I do, and I still have some problem, like, you know, when I get on some of these sites, like the terrain people, okay, the terrain theory people, meaning it's never a germ, it's always the terrain. And they're talking about, you never need to do anything except fix the terrain. And I, and I kind of raise my hand and say, hey, look, guys, I'm a trauma surgeon for most of my life. I did orthopedic spine and trauma, okay? And if and there's sometimes you can't control the terrain, meaning you get a gunshot wound to the to the pelvis, right? Goes through the bowel, goes through the pelvis, shatters the bone, bad terrain. You're you're you don't have good blood supply to areas of that bone, and you've just gone through a highly uh, bacterial area like the bowel, and you've pushed that stuff into the bone. Don't tell me that we don't need antibiotics sometimes. That's right. You know, yeah. People used yeah. to die. You know, we used to call pneumonia the old man's friend. If you look at Jim Henson that made the Muppets, what happened to him? He got pneumonia in New York City. I think he was in New York City. By the time he got to the hospital, he was essentially dead because it took him down so fast. Now, that doesn't, you know, the and, and we know that antibiotics can stop that. I saved my husband tried to do that. Yeah, so well, isn't bacteria, bacteria different than germs? I mean, because well, well, maybe germs, germs are bacteria. Term. Yeah, because, well, we do know that when the women were having babies back in the day and they they kicked out all the mid, the midwives right. and said, we got to do this in the hospital because you guys are ignorant right. and fools. They did it in the hospital and all these people were dying suddenly because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They weren't um, washing their hands between right. having babies. Yeah, those yeah. were bacteria, right? That was that right. was so. And and, okay. and so I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. That's not so. Germ is a, germ is a general top general term. It doesn't tell you what the germ is. It just is the idea that there is something out there that passes between people and you know between you know rotten meat, for example, or whatever, and you and makes people sick. That's that's the idea that there is something. It doesn't tell you what it is. Now we've kind of separated these things into multiple categories everything from like i absolutely believe there are parasites so that's part you know in, in a that's way a, that's, that's a bacteria right i mean a no sorta. parasites it's a are living not a bacteria bigger no 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 Parasite, parasites are different parasites are a multicellular organism that have different different characteristics because they're bigger kinds yeah they're yeah. bigger like like a nematode worm they look like a worm. I mean, they're tiny little worms that get into you. Those are the classic nematode parasites or malaria or, you know, there are different kinds of things just like they're, you know, so there's a whole category of, of things that can be transmitted to cause disease. But one thing there is not is, is what we're going to talk about. And that is the idea of, you were saying, I know we have colds. The, what people have to separate is the concept of disease from the concept of germ. Disease simply means dis-ease, okay? It doesn't tell you what's causing the dis-ease. We know that there's psychiatric disease, right? That's not a germ, unless you think it is. I mean, it could be. You could have toxoplasmosis in the brain, which actually our CDC knows about and didn't tell us. But anyway, uh, I don't think all psychiatric disease is due to a germ, okay? And I don't think germ theory people believe that either. So we agree that there is disease that does have nothing to do with, quote, germs. So then we have to look at when you when you try to prove what's causing a disease, 
you don't just look what they're trying to to tell you today is it's all called we can do all this fancy genetic testing and we can show you that you know I, that, that we definitely transmit it because guess what you're sick i take some dna i take a swab stick and i find that you have a 16 uh segment of 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 genetic code that I've just gotten out of your mouth. And I, and this person over there got sick and I take that, I find that same 16 genetic segment. Oh my gosh, it must've been transmitted between you two. But if you look at the fallacy of that, you and I have 3.4 billion codes in our genetic code, 3.4 billion. Scientists only know what about 2% of that does. They have no clue. We share 50% of that gene code with a banana. Okay, 60% if you're a politician. So I don't, <laughs> and we, and, and so the fact that they find a six out of 3.4 billion, the fact that they find a 16 gene code in me and in you does not prove transmission. That's not, that's not good science. Okay, it's just not. I actually looked at, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about how they really did it because when you really want to understand what's going on, you need to understand the faux pandemic of 1918. I will, I, I have done primary research on this by going back to the Kansas archives, the Navy archives. Um, I've looked at, I mean, a lot of different old newspapers. I've looked at a lot of different things and I can tell you the lie became manifest in 1918. And what we're dealing with now is the enabling lie of viruses has made this whole thing happen. So that's what I'm going to talk about for a minute, if I could, because then it will answer your question. If there are no viruses, what makes people sick? It's about transmission. Just because you can prove DNA somewhere, it doesn't make proof of transmission. And it's, it's very possible. The other thing I'll say before I really get into the 1918 thing is, if I, you know, look at what happened in, in COVID. They showed everybody this picture. It was this kind of blue spiky ball. Remember that? And they yeah, said, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's SARS-CoV-2. I, I show that picture and I ask the audience in talks, they say, what is that? What do you guys think that is? And I'll hear, oh, it's the spike protein or, oh, it's SARS-CoV-2. And I say, no, <laughs> that is CGI. That doesn't exist. That You realize that is just a mind <laughs> worm. Okay? Very it good, is, yes. It literally is CGI. Yeah, that's it not is. A, people, uh, it's surprising how many people think that's an actual blown up picture of a virus. That is not. It's totally manufactured. And the funny thing is that same CGI image is now being used for avian flu. It's like that blue spiky ball. It's just a psyop, okay? When I show people the next slide, I show them the, the real picture of what they're calling viruses. They kind of go, Meh, really? That's all. That's it. It's like a tiny little blob with little dots in it, and it's black and white, and it's sitting outside a cell or inside a cell. In the inside of the cell, they call it an exosome. In the outside of the cell, they call it a virus. Here's the problem. It's just because you see that picture, that's I'm just going to dispel that right now. That doesn't tell you anything about this. That's like I give you a black and white picture of a guy standing in front of the bank with a gym bag. So, and I'm telling you, he just robbed the bank. Really? Do you know that from the picture? No, he could be going to the gym or he could have just made a deposit in the bank. That's had right. nothing to do. You see what I'm saying? So well, the, that's but the, the, problem. the thinking, yeah, the thinking in, in the science medical community is, is not logical. It's no. not, they don't have the logical capacity. I mean, it's just not how they think about stuff. It's okay. a problem. And that's ahead. right. And that is a very big problem. And I was part of that problem because, you know, here's the issue whether by accident or just by the fact that the world is more complex, we have been stratified into different communities. You know, I'm an orthospine surgeon. I don't generally deal with the issue of infectious disease other than in my own world. I always assumed the ID guys had actually proven this stuff. 
just like they've assumed that's right that i've actually proven it makes difference to operate on people's spinal stenosis okay i mean there are some things even in our world that we thought were proven like uh you know um certain drugs that we thought were proven and it turns out when you really get to the bottom of the rabbit hole you find there's nothing there <laughs> so that's kind of what i'm going to tell you about so here's if you really want to understand what's going on, let's let's talk a little bit about 1918 and what causes influenza. We'll go a step beyond the cold, okay? But the cold is the same principle, okay? The the in 1918, it it was not the Spanish flu. It started in it didn't start in Spain. It started in Fort Riley, Kansas, because the military we were mobilizing guys to go to fight World War One, right? And so what happened is there were um, people started getting this disease, okay? And they started getting really sick. These guys started getting sick in Kansas and it was the military and it was like the Native Americans in their Indian school. There was some, some in blank, blank Indian school. I can't remember, big school. And then there were others, okay? Uh, scattered around the state, but it was primarily the military. And if you, and if you, and, and what what's interesting is, when they first started getting sick, they didn't know what it was, they claimed. They didn't know what it was. But um, we decided, well, we're going to send out, let's study this, okay? And and the story, as you've heard it, and as everybody's heard it, is, oh, this thing spread around the world, and it spread all over in America, and lots of people were dying. And, uh, you know, and so, and it was the it was the influenza. Now, the the term influenza just means influence. Okay, before that, nobody knew what influenza, nobody claimed it was a virus. Inf it's very interesting that influenza, when it used to break out, and by the way, we didn't, well, I'll get into that in a minute. We didn't have a seasonal influenza season until we laid the telegram lines down. But here's what happened. In 1918, these guys started getting sick. So they sent out some crack pathologists from the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology and William Welch from um, Johns Hopkins University. And they, 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 ought, they very bravely, because nobody knew what was going on theoretically, they, they autopsied all these guys or a lot of these guys that died. And they couldn't. And at the end of the day, they said, we don't know what's killing them. It looks like bacterial pneumonia, but that's never acted like this before. Right. And some of them had some of them had a lot of blood in their lungs. Um, so then the, the next thing that happened was they tried to they tried to um, show transmission. And this is my point about how you really study things. OK, this may sound kind of crude, but it's actually very logical. So they had 100 in Boston, which was the third biggest city hit. They only had 5000 deaths, which tells you the third biggest city to be hit with this so-called influenza um, 5000 deaths does not add up to the couple million they're claiming now. Millions, died. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. And, and I can tell you, having gone through getting one of these newspaper archives I subscribe to from 1920 on, the numbers kind of kept getting exaggerated in the news stories mm. and then and the and the repetitive news stories saying all the same things, but at different little newspapers all over the country, just like we see today in the national news. It isn't the digital press. It was then, too. So the difference is they had linotypes. So some of them were had different typos, but it was exactly the same stories being put out as propaganda about this and to sell the idea of their treatments. Anyway, what happened is in, in Boston, the Navy Department and the National Public Health Service got together and they said, let's see if we can figure out what this disease is because they had a bunch of sick and dying people in a hospital there. So they got 118 volunteers and they asked these volunteers to, we're gonna, they took them in the hospital. They said, we don't want you to touch the patients, but we want you to put your face over the face of the dying, 
okay? These people were really sick that they chose, the dying people. And they were coughing and, you know, goop and all sorts of stuff. And they said, just put your face down. And when they breathe out, we want you to breathe in. So they were breathing in the exhalations of the dying with this influenza. Out of the 118, not one person got sick. So then they said, hmm, okay, now we'll take some swabs. And we put them in the nose and the mouth and everything of the dying. And we put them in you, okay? And we put them in the well people. Not one person got sick. Then, and this is kind of guts ball in the age before antibiotics. What they did was they took the stuff out of their mouth and nose and they spun it with some, some uh, uh, sodium chloride solution or whatever. They made it into a solution and they literally injected it into these people. Not one of them got sick. Oh, that's, now, that's in big... yeah, yeah. In 1918, horses were getting sick with this. And um, they 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 tried to put a food bag on the you know nose bag on one horse that was sick and put it on a well horse. They could never transmit it in horses, so it wasn't a psychiatric. We rule out psychiatric things too. You know, it's like no, it's it's it, there's something really weird going on here. So let's look at what is going on. In it, it was noticed before this that when influenza broke out around the world, it didn't break out every year. Prior to 1857, it didn't break out every year. It broke out every few decades. And it was like when it broke out, it broke out all around the world simultaneously. Thank, thankfully, the British Navy, the British Admiralty had Navy logs from all like the Napoleonic Wars and going way back into the 1600s, right? So you can look at these and you can realize that when people, they showed that when people, these ships would be out at sea, I mean, in the age of wooden ships and iron men, you couldn't have circled the world and spread a virus in the time it took this simultaneous worldwide pandemic to take off, right? So what was going on? I mean, they should show that people on these ships were getting sick out at sea that had never touched land for a month at the same time that Australia and France and, and, you know, some places in America, maybe, and, and Britain, we're all getting the same disease. So what's going on there? Well, it took some very smart uh, astronomers, a guy from Oxford and a guy from Winnipeg, Canada, that put this all together. And they looked back in time and they showed that every one of those outbreaks corresponded to the uh, sun cycle, the sunspot cycle. And before you think that's crazy, let me just tell you that we didn't have a yearly flu season until we laid down the telegram lines in about 1857, 1858. So, and then they, and they literally call, they, so many people got sick under those telegram lines. They didn't die, but they got sick and they got like a nervous condition and they got all this stuff going on, achiness, kind of some of the things we talk about in, in generally in disease. They, they, it was, it was like telegraph operators, train conductors, because they laid them along the train lines. There was even a walkout in the 19, I think 1905, roughly in uh, Toronto, because the telegram operators were tired of their working conditions, you know, with all this going on. Well, they figured out that they could make that, they called it telegrapher's disease, and they figured out that they could ameliorate the, the disease. They could make it much, much more rare by just taking a long twist in the copper wires that were used for sending the telegram signals. Now, why would this be? Well, it turns out that telegram signals are sent at a at a frequency that's not quite the frequency of the earth. It's 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 off, okay? Yeah, and yeah. it's when you're just a little bit off, it's kind of like music that's got mistuned a little bit. It's not necessarily good for you like music isn't good to listen to that way. Discordant. It turns out we are electromagnetic beings, and what happens is 
if you look at the way you metabolize things, we may think we're solid, but we're literally electromagnetic beings. And so you run an electron transport chain. You have to have an electron gradient in the body. If you suddenly move from one electromagnetic situation, not very much to a suddenly higher EMF, you know, lots of cellular radiation, all that kind of stuff, telegram lines going up. If you suddenly change that gradient, if you suddenly change and you walk into an electro electromagnetic field that your body's not used to, you all have problems. You can't metabolize things right. Okay. Your metabolism gets shot. And that's what's that's that's at the basis of what's happening here. So when they when they realized this, like I say, they made it better. Now let's go back to 1918. It turned out the doctors noticed. It wasn't the big farm kids that were surviving. They were the ones that were going down and getting sick. They were suddenly mobilizing all these troops down into Fort Riley, Kansas. And it was these big strapping farm kids that were getting sick. And the little scrawny kids from the city were not getting sick. Now, how do we explain that one? This, the, because the city kids had grown up with slow onset of putting all these lines in the city. If you look at pictures of Boston and New York at those times, they had electrical and telegram lines everywhere. Their body acclimated. So they can, it, there's a, there's a, there's a principle we learned in the, in the old days in medical school. Uh, I think when we were thinking um, it was called Cannon's law of the body. And it means your body responds to rate of change, not absolute. So if you make the change gradually, you can adapt to it if you suddenly get thrown into there. So what was the problem? These farm kids from Tennessee had not been around any electrical stuff, right? They were coming from unelectrified farm country in Texas and Iowa and Tennessee, and they show up in Fort Riley, Kansas. And guess what they were being trained to do? To be telegram operators for the war. <laughs> okay, you can't make this up now. But they weren't dying at first. Here's or they, or they were at that point. But this the other point to be made here is... There's a doctor, um, uh, Eleonora Bean. She became a doctor later, but she was a child and she was in a church that was volunteering to help take care of the sick and dying. These, these poor kids that were there, their families weren't there in you know tough travel times. They, they had, they'd had nobody. So these, these church people were going out and they were ministering to these sick people on the basis. They let them do that. Well, they found out the only people, she said, the only people were dying were people that had been vaccinated. This is the first time we had done a, a real vaccination program before we sent the military off to war, right? So we didn't have this before. And how did we get there? We got there because a couple, and I want, when I say this, just kind of keep in mind, if you know about what happened in the Ukrainian bio labs, um, the story goes that over in Ukraine, when these bio labs that we bought in 1991 and started renovating, every time we get one renovated and start working in it, some weird disease would break out around into, into the native yeah. people. Okay. Well, in, in 1916, they set a military medical school in, in Kansas. And shortly after that, they start, they had an outbreak of typhoid fever. Now I'm kind of surprised at typhoid in Kansas, but maybe it was a guy's coming back from Panama at the time and things like that. But in any case, people started getting sick. So a guy named F Frederick Lamar Gates, was, who was the son of Frederick Gates, who was the right-hand man of John D. Rockefeller, um, Frederick Lamar Gates had, had come out of Johns Hopkins Medical School and volunteered for the Army. And his first job, and trust me, as, as somebody that spent 10 years in the military right out of medical school, you don't get these kind of jobs. He was suddenly the big advisor to John D. Rockefeller as mm. the medical doctor, right? But he ended up taking the Rockefeller's first 
edition of vaccines. When you read, I've read the actual, he has a paper about how this was done. You read and the doctors on the base and everything, how they did it, very crude. I mean, literally they're mixing the vaccines and 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 experimenting with them on the base before they shoot them up into these people. But they they went down and they gave a typhoid vaccine, not only to the military, but to the Native American Indian school, the uh, to some school children that they could convince to do it. Anybody that wanted it could have it, but it was primarily the military. Three months after the typhoid vaccine, people came down with meningitis. Now, again, I've, I've studied meningitis because there was a meningitis vaccine that was pushed in our state. And I said, this is ridiculous. Nobody dies of meningitis in any big numbers to justify this, right? It's like the year they pushed it in Iowa, only person to die. They pushed all the school children to get a meningitis vaccine. And the only person to die that year was a 76-year-old person at the University of Iowa Hospital, okay? Wouldn't, all those vaccines would not have made a difference, So even if they worked. But the point is, is that we we get this fear, just like that blue spiky ball of the, vi the, the so-called virus. We have a fear. We've got PSYOP about meningitis, but it's really when it breaks out, it's like one or two people. I think the biggest outbreak of meningitis I've, I, could I could identify in America going back to 1900 is a group of gay men in San Francisco where nine cases broke out, okay? And they're highly vaccinated. Now, let me just tell you what happened is in the Kansas, after they vaccinated for the typhoid three months later, 35 to 40%, depending on if it was Army or Navy, of the active duty came down with meningitis. That's not right. Well, okay. So when these things happen, how do we, there's, it becomes obvious, those of us who like think logically, you know, you like, wait a minute, these numbers, I, I might not be a doctor, but I definitely am a mathematician, you know, I mean, but I understand right, right. numbers and I can see this to me and that's how I think logically. What the heck, why are we keep being steamrolled over obvious issues like this? How do they- Well, I can tell you that too. Doing that, can, go ahead. Th this is not by accident. Our, our university people are not dumb. Uh, Gates was not dumb. Uh, this whole thing is not by accident, okay? What's it, what's it being used to justify? And by the way, the bottom line on influenza is, and I'll tell you how you get the flu every season now and why we get sick and how you can protect yourself because that's, that's important. But I'll, I'll answer your first question first is, this is how you justify medical intervention that otherwise wouldn't make sense. This is how we justify all these vaccines. If there are no viruses, all these vaccines go to zero, okay? Now, you know, I, I will tell you, well, let me ahead. just tell you one other thing. The people doing this use word magic. This is based on, I, I know it may sound a little creepy to people that don't haven't been following this, but when you go back in time and you look at who's running this show, there are very few number of people on the top of a pyramid that own like 90% of the corporate world wealth. That's been identified in studies. So these people practice a different kind of spirituality, religion, if you will, than, than the majority of human beings on the earth. And they have a belief that if, that, that, if they trick you into doing something, that's your problem. You just weren't paying attention. If I tell you what I'm going to do, and I and I say it, but I say it in words that have different meanings, or I I kind of say it in a way that's not that you won't understand it, and then you jump in and do it, you you they don't get any karmic retribution. It yeah, turns well, that's out BS. It, yeah, I mean, it is, it tell is them BS. BS. They've come. Oh, I know, but that's convinced no matter what something. we believe. I've said this many, what we many believe. Well, but their yeah. their beliefs are skewed and they're mentally right. off and i want them to know that they're still going and their karma is Point. still really so bad and they've just got themselves all confused but keep going but virus virus in latin 
It doesn't mean a little animacule that I breathe out and goes over and makes you sick in another room. It means poison. It means toxin. Okay, so in the ancient religion, they understood this. Ancient medicine, they said um, there are only two treatments. One, purification, get right with God, and detoxification get the toxins out, right? They understood that. So virus in Latin means toxin. So what I'm what I'm basically telling you here is that the the death that we've experienced seasonally has to do with vaccines. The disease is due to electromagnetic charge. And I will show you what has been happening. I mean, if you look at the H1N1 outbreak, it had to do with impl implementation of the cell phones. If you look at all these different recent big quote, influenza outbreaks, they're associated with a leap in the electromagnetic um, structure of our world. You know, it, this one was Telegram in 1918. And it went, when it spread around the world, it was because we spread our electromagnetic signature and our vaccines around the world. You can follow that. So th that's what's going on. Now, how does it actually work? Why do you, and how do you prevent yourself from getting flu in the winter? Okay. It turns out that not only do you need a normal electric gradient to metabolize things, but the way your bo body acts is every cell in your body is a battery. Okay. It's not, it, we, we never were taught this in medical school. And I'm not sure we actually knew, we little people didn't know that. I think the people running this show probably did, but there's a doctor in Washington state who has really looked at this. It's called the fourth state of water. Water in your body is in a gel form. Okay. So think of every cell in your body, kind of like a bowl of jello that has, that has taught and you get toxins in it. What do you have to do to get the toxins out? And what, what, it, what he found out is the way the body gets toxins out is through an electromagnetic gradient. In other words, a battery, negative and positive charges. You get, a, you get some kind of toxin into your system and you, your body puts a charge around it. It separates it out and it pushes it out of the cell. This is what we use in labs when we do gel electrophoresis. And if anybody's a, a biologist or a chemist, they know about this. So... What happens? It turns out, this is another lie from medical school. They told us, you're not plants. You don't get any energy from the sun directly. Not true. When you go out in the summer, you directly get infrared and near-infrared radiation. That's critical here. And that charges up every cell in your body. It charges this battery, okay? It allows you to, so we can work longer, play longer. We can stay up later because the sun's out more and we're getting more sun and we're charging our batteries. So grandma was right when she said, get some rest, your, your, your batteries are getting uncharged or whatever, <laughs> you know, discharged. That's really true. So what happens in the winter is that we normally, and I come from farm country where we used to live by the sun cycle. Some of the healthiest people you'll see in the, still in the Midwest are people that have all their life lived by the sun cycle. When the sun comes up, they get up and go to work. When it comes down, they go to bed. And if not, shortly thereafter. But now we have electric lights, okay, for the first, you know, couple hundred years of having electric lights. And so we stay up late. And so winter comes. We're inside. We're not getting the infrared. We're staying up late. We're getting ready for Christmas and our packing and our kids are coming and we're cleaning the house. So we're spending long hours and we're expending energy that we're not taking in. We're not, we're not replacing it. So our batteries are running down and we can't get rid of toxins. So the people that die in the winter tend to be the elderly people from that have the, uh, they've, they've, they've got more, they've accumulated toxins and they haven't been outside and they're not able to expel it. Their immune systems aren't what they were when they were 20. So younger people are more protected. They may have toxins, but they're more protected. And that's what's going on. So the way you solve this is you get an infrared sauna, 
you go to a suntanning booth a couple times a week or something, you know, you get that infrared into you, but you also live by the sun cycle better. Don't extend yourself. So here's what happens. Here's a perfect, you're saying, I get colds in the winter. Here's what's really happening. You're about the same time when the so-called cold season comes, what has happened? You're, all of you, all of us have come in, it happens in the winter um, and it happens because all of us start spending more time inside and less time outside. And it hits us about the same time that our batteries are discharged. Okay. So we're all getting sick about the same time. Doesn't mean we're spreading it from each other and nobody's ever proven that. I will tell you that there's lots of proof of spread of electromagnetic disease. So on another, there's another way we can spread disease that is not what I'm talking about, but this is about the standard flu season. What else happens before the flu season? People run out and they get their flu shots. Now, these are toxic things. I'm just going to say it. Terrible. We've been it's spread. They've been spread. Yes. Yeah. So you're taking a, a neurotoxin. What's the biggest risk of flu vaccine? Guillain-Barre is the biggest compensable risk where you get paralysis from a flu vaccine. And we're seeing a lot of it with this one. It, it's why would you get that? Because these things are really neurotoxins. They're toxic agents. And the, I can tell you, on the average, before COVID, 67% of Americans took the flu vaccine. And they and on the average, 5% of Estonians took the flu vaccine. And according to the WHO, we have exactly the same flu death. What does that tell you? It hasn't. It's, Boy, like, it's, a, it's all BS. You know, I it's had. It's not helping you. I had a show. I, you know, I've covered so much of this over the years. In fact, I, you know, before COVID, I had 10 doctor uh, shows get PhD scientists, whatever. One yeah. of my PhD scientists is Dr. Vera Porter. She, I work with her all the time. She's a regular columnist on my news site. She's awesome. And we, I always point back to this uh, interview I did with her. And what she talks about in this interview is the cycle of illness that happened every time there was an advancement of, um, you know, electric wires and the, right, the, that's the, what the I'm telegraph. Saying. Yeah, exactly. You're it's explaining it thing. differently. And it's wonderful. What you're explaining is absolutely wonderful because you're giving more um, substance to a, a lot of this. It doesn't mean bacteria doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it, it just means things are more complicated than we than we think. And that uh, frequency, if you can heal, I always, you know, I do so much on right. medicine, frequency medicine. I, I have yeah. done so much on that. I have it up on my site on my solutions document. If you can heal people with frequency, you sure can make them sick with frequency. And um, I, so I love that you're doing this because you're putting more. And I, I always say that this whole field needs to be developed and you're putting more meat behind this field. And that's what we need. We need thousands and thousands of scientists getting into this field and figuring it out. I um, had. You're assuming they haven't been. I'm just well, going to tell you they have. The average been. person <laughs> hasn't because I, I, I know. know that. I know. <laughs> I taught at the University of Minnesota in the business school and um, I did a show. I dared to question things and, and I figured doing my show and questioning things was more important than teaching at the U of M, which is sad because I'd like to work with students and the students need to hear yeah. things that are different. But I was going to have the ethics guy on, the ethics professor, and I, I taught some of his classes, but he was going to come on my show. I was excited to come on, but he realized the show I did before the show he was going to come on, we questioned vaccines and he didn't want anything to do with my show after that. He didn't want to ever talk to me again. And he didn't, he, I never could work at the university of Minnesota again, either. The thing is, is that you can't that you question, you can't even question or debate vaccine in what world is it that uh, a science or something that's right 
refuses to defend its correctness. In what world is that? That's one where they're not right. I mean, that's one where they're hiding something. It's a world where there's a number of a small number of people at war with the rest of humanity. That's really we are the herd. We're being controlled like a herd. And when we get too many, they don't really want us to live long and and retire and be on the Medicare rolls. That's the that's the world you're. But they have they have people like him, an ethics professor who who should know better, who doesn't even want to debate that. Yeah, doctors should know, too. But to not even allow a debate and say, shut it down. They're so fearful and scared that you can't even question it. But they also have, they've rationalized it and convinced people of the science. And it doesn't all make sense because we're talking about why it doesn't make sense. But they figured out how to convince people that it makes sense. And these people, it's become a religion. Right. And you know how they figured it out was the Tavistock Institute years ago about, uh, you know, they they pretended that they were about advertising, but really it was about mass mind control of population. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, they, and they did studies on this and they showed that if you ask somebody, um, OK, it, would you take a vaccine for your own health? And they say no. Then you say, would you take a vaccine to protect your children? And they say no. They found out if they say you're the only one percent that isn't taking this vaccine. That causes them to say yes, because we are a natural herd. We're a herd. I guess yep. we're a herd. And so that's what's going on. And it is by it's not by accident. This is a very principled. And I could because I'll tell you, let me tell you, it wasn't always this way. And I will tell you that the evidence for electromagnetic transmission of disease is extremely important when we look at what's in these viruses. It goes back to the 1920s in a Russian called Kaznacheyev. But even in my time, in my lifetime, when I was a freshman medical student in 1976, I remember that not all the doctors were bought into it at this time. We still had family, private practice doctors, right? That now Obamacare got us all into a herd, all into the hospitals. So you can't think for yourself because you'll get fired. So people are afraid to speak out. But I tell people it's time now. Beyond time. What happened in 1976 is my pediatric professor gave us a lecture and they said, he said, you know, these childhood vaccines, that's not what cured childhood disease. And he showed us all the graphs. Back then, they showed you the real graphs that showed how the, the death from measles, for example, was way, here's 1900, and here's, you know, 1950. And it's it's already way, way, way down. And then they, they instituted the vaccine, and it just made this little blip on the screen that was way down at the bottom and probably not significant at all. And he said, it, was, it wasn't vaccines that cured childhood diseases or kept people dying from it. It was plumbers. And I thought that was a funny line. But what his point is, is it was better sanitation and better nutrition. We and that's ate we better, a hot, better immune system. We didn't have the bacteria, the, the bad bacteria. We cleaned up the sewers. We cleaned that's up right. the environments and we, we fed our children better because we were a more affluent country. Okay. And so, but now there's another, you brought up a good point about the the electromagnetic signal that transmits there's that's one that's kind of a non-specific thing when you walk into an environment like you said h1n1 the the pandemic i think that was 2009 that was you know that they they claimed was going to be so bad and it turned out not to be that bad but it was when we bumped up the cell phones and the, the flu season was worse that year right so um there was a guy, but there's also a more specific disease transmission that can be used in electromagnetically. And this is what's important about when we argue about what's in these vaccines. <laughs>